This is Digital Marketing Fastlane. This podcast will show you how to build, launch, grow, and scale a widely successful online business. Listen to real conversations with proven practical strategies and success stories. You're going to learn how to generate more traffic, more sales, more profit, and customer lifetime value for your online store. Coming to you from the online marketing experts at Voy Media, here's your host, Kevin Urrutia. Hey everybody, it's Kevin Ruta here from Digital Marketing Fastlane. Today I have a very special guest, Nicholas Truman from Spec. Hey Nick, how are you doing today? Hey Kevin, yes, very well, thanks. Tell me a little about yourself. I've been working in digital marketing since I was 17 years old. So I was studying music at a local college to where I live and picked up a job in Google Analytics and Google Advertising as well, which is now known as Google Ads, was (laughs) Google AdWords when I started. I founded a business in that space, sold that, moved across to the new company, worked with them for 18 months. Then I started the business I'm working for today, which is my company and it's called Spec. Spec.digital is our website. Very much in the digital space, doing a huge amount in SEO, PPC. And then we've also got another little business that I've recently become the CEO of, which is called Just Ask Parker. The most important thing about Just Ask Parker is our podcast. I run a podcast that I interviewed Kevin a couple of days ago, didn't I? That's going to be going live in a few days from where we are right now. So I think that might be after this one goes up and listen to the interview with Kevin on there. 60 seconds about me. Back, was that just something that you started or were you working somewhere before that? So the company that I founded and then sold, I did what in the UK is called an asset transfer. So I kept the company itself, all the staff, the trading name, the client, that was sold as if it was an asset, like a house or something, or selling a car. And that was all transferred out. So I kept the shell. And then in about 2015, that shell was called Nick Truman Limited, which is obviously just my name. The reason I started it, where it really came from, was that I'd worked in the agency world for years. And I, I'll be honest with you, there were days when I absolutely hated it, days when I kind of liked it, but there weren't any days when I loved it. So what I did is I left my business behind pretty much with no plan. And I had rent to pay, I had a car, but I needed money. And the first thing that popped along was the massive contract we got with a big global retailer. I say we, it was just me at the time. (laughs) And they basically came to me and said, look, you know loads about SEO. We know you've left your agency. Can you freelance for us? We just want somebody to come in a day or two a week and tell us what the hell is going wrong. And that was really exciting for me. And I was like, wow, this is the client I've always dreamed of. And then realized almost every business I ever spoke to or came in contact with wanted the same thing. They wanted somebody to come in and say, look, the digital world is so confusing. SEO, what's going on? Where are we spending money? Where are we striving and doing well? Where are we failing? And that kind of thing. And that is how Spec was born. Like all good businesses, I had no plan and it all just kind of happened overnight. You know, next thing I'm employing two, three, four staff and and things started growing. But it was 2015, I moved back to working on my own and doing that. And it was very much a step of, we're still in the supplier world, but we're not an agency anymore. We're a consultancy. So it's very much about handholding. And some of the problems then we actually started solving were like people who were doing lead gen on their websites. We're trying to work out every time we get a lead or a new customer, we want to know how many times they've clicked through. So our website, because if we turn our PPC advertising off, we yeah. will probably lose all of our leads. But at the moment, we can't prove that PPC is generating any of them. So we can't justify it to the business. But actually, if we had that information, we could run it better. That's one of about 250 problems I have listed on a spreadsheet. That every time <laughs> I go to pitch to anyone, I bust out that spreadsheet, have a quick look. What problems are we looking to solve here? And I've read tons of books about asking the right questions. And so as I say, spec really came about from me wanting to grow a business 
and my skills were in marketing. So instead of starting a business where I did the marketing, I decided to start, well, I was already kind of doing it, but use my skills to help lots of businesses grow. So as a kind of serial entrepreneur without yeah. all the financial and HR stress that my clients have to deal with. I just started doing some consulting stuff with some other partners that obviously don't work for our agency, but they might be a better fit for just to me to help them talk to you about the process that you have and sort of how that works. But anyways, so basically right now, is it just yourself or you don't employ anybody else for that company? So I'm very much trying to build the team, build the business. The, The hardest thing obviously is every time you employ somebody, I do a lot of the new business stuff, a lot of the sales stuff. I direct the biggest three or four accounts in the business as well. So my time is very much split across all. It can be really, really tough. Any agency will reach a point of, we can't grow because we can't get any more of the owner's time. And I've always been very fearful of that and making sure that I never reach that point. At the moment, we've got a team where we're growing quite rapidly towards 10 people now, incredibly profitable, which also means that I can take on people that are slightly more junior, but people that I believe are going to make it. So we have this uh, philosophy in the business that we don't employ people to fulfill a role. We mm-hmm. employ someone and build a role around them. So what we're really looking for is somebody who fits the culture, someone who's super productive, really awake, smart. They get stuff. If you ask them a question, you can tell they're analyzing it in their head. What we don't want as a business really is people that are just kind of sitting around going, oh yeah, I love my job. You know, I just kind of come in at half past nine in the morning and I do some clicking on the computer and then I get some money and I go home. Those are not the people for my business. They're thinkers, they're doers, they're strategists. And again, some of them have got no experience at all. They don't even know what Google Ads is. Mm -hmm. how SEO works. And we say, right, come in, we'll teach you the processes. And then equally, we do employ some more senior people. So the role I'm trying to fill at the moment is somebody with somewhere between kind of three to 10 years agency specifically experience. Someone who can just come in and give us a massive capacity boost, can help direct some of the bigger accounts and that kind of things. Yes, we very much employ people, but it's not the kind of business where you just phone calls are coming in and you just need people to answer the phone and read a script. It's the complete opposite of that. Here's a blank canvas on an hourly basis, paint something beautiful. I think it's such a great tip there because I get sort of how I think about it. My background was computer science. And when we were hiring people to join our program, like when I was at Mint or even at Zarly, we were really looking for raw smartness because there's so many different programming languages. But if you're like smart, you have a go-getter attitude, you can figure it out. And I also see that with some people that I employ here. I'm just looking for raw talent. And then Google yeah. ads, Facebook ads, Snapchat ads, TikTok, all that stuff you can learn but you can't teach somebody like basic logic and problem solving. We even toyed with having like tests and setting people a time limit. We've not done it, but we were discussing like, should we set an assessment where we basically want to find out is somebody just quick, alert, thinks right, asks the right questions, etc. For example, and I need to be very careful with this because there's really tight employment laws. A few people recently, mm-hmm. and a couple of them, they ticked all the boxes. So like, I te- checked their CV, yeah, great. They've got the right experience. They know what they're doing. I think they could go really far in this industry. For example, one of them I spoke to on the phone, again, I'm being really careful with my language here. <laughs> again, they ticked all the sort of boxes in terms of they had a good degree from university or college, as you guys call it in the US. They had the right qualifications. They had two or three years experience doing all the things we're asking. But the whole interview was about them. And it was about what they want to do with their career and stuff like this. And I just mm-hmm. thought that is not the mentality we're going for here. I think people need to take responsibility of themselves. I also was sitting there thinking, do you know what? None of my team would ever say this to me. They'd never use words like my career or anything. They would use phrases like my development, but they would always use it in relation of, I really want to learn this because I feel like I can bring so much more to the business or actually teaching somebody else this at the moment. I would love to learn that as well if possible. Give it a go, but we'll agree that if we think it's unproductive or actually you're better doing the things you're doing at the moment and getting better at that, then we'll kind of put a stop to it. 
you've got all the right things. You're incredibly professional. I'd happily sit next to you in a meeting with a client and have you leading everything or send you off to a client. My, I can imagine in the office, you'd almost doing a bit of a land grab internally. Like how quickly can I develop and constant pressure on the directors to increase their salaries. And again, none of those are bad things. It's just not what we're about here. We're really about the client here. And we talk about that on our website as well. Just it's about you, not us. It doesn't really matter what we've done for anybody else. We need a few logos just to say, yeah, we've done this. But what it's really about is, well, here's the plan for you. And I can guarantee that plan will be completely unique, something new, something diverse, something with a bit of an edge to it, some unknowns. Because that's what we're about as a business mm-hmm. is those complicated problems. So on the surface, we still do SEO and PPC, but under the hood, we're very much plugging on with something very complicated and very strategic. Sometimes you find great people, sometimes you don't. And I think that's so important. Even for us here, we talk to some great candidates. I don't think they'll fit well with the company or just like the way they talk. It maybe doesn't align with where we're at right now. This person could be like someone for maybe two years from now where we have the processes in place to sort of help them grow and be that person. And that's the scalability bit, isn't it? Once you've nailed it in any business scenario, I mean, in an e-commerce business, you know, we're selling this much right now. We could double our PPC budget, double the size of our warehouse and have twice as much stock. There's enough market for that. So let's go down that road. But when you're smaller, like you guys and we are, actually, it's much more focused on who are those specific individual people. And I think there's no right and wrong person, is there? There's just somebody who's going to push the team in the right direction today and someone who's not. I'm not adverse to taking on someone who doesn't fit the culture. Question then becomes, what are they going to do to the culture? Is it going to improve in terms of this phrase we've got, which is, will it make the boat go faster? Mm -hmm. A trademark term, that amazing book about it, and it's about the um, Team GB in the Olympics, how we won so many medals as such a small island. Just every single thing you did, will this make the boat go faster? So for us, it's always a question of, okay, this person's really skilled, but will they slow the boat down by actually trying to change too much or will they come in and have a bit of a clash with other people or will do you think I'll get those messages from people going did they really just ask me that is this the way we're going with this now I don't mind I just need to know and I don't want to get those questions but the questions I want to get is can I work more with them they're fantastic I think we should link up on more projects it's like great big director level decisions being made by the team that's scalable will it make the boat go fast it keeps everything in perspective like any part of the company should we get another accountant? Well, will it make the boat go faster? Probably not, because that's not our, our mission isn't to be a well, necessarily even a well-run business in terms of the internal administration. We want to be growing quickly and making the best possible campaigns we can for our clients. That will then drive everything else. That's the epicenter of life, happiness, revenue, all the rest of it comes from that. Revenue is super important. This sort of next thing you're working on, which is Daz Parker and the podcasting, I guess it came out of you been in the industry so long, I'm assuming they reached out to you or you reached out to them. We'd love to sort of talk about that beginning stage. I'll be honest, we haven't got our public story completely straight yet. (laughs) It's actually what's the best message for our clients. Like what's going to make our clients go, oh, that's a bad thing. And if they're thinking that it probably is a bad thing, which means we're communicating something wrong because every decision we've made has been for our client base. Obviously, you know, Netflix, the story is Reed is like the CEO. And he's like, I started Netflix because I didn't want to pay for my return label DVD, right? From like Blockbuster. And that's actually not the real story, but it's a story they tell everybody because that's what marketing is. And that's what people resonate with. I read the book about the story about Netflix, actual founder of the company wasn't even Reed Hastings. He Reed Hastings was investor, but he just took that title of co-founder. The founder was like a marketer himself. Something Bernays, like very famous marketer, grandson of Anthony Bernays or Andy Bernays, one of those guys. That is a story that Reed crafted and it's sort of what they went with. And if you say it enough, people believe it, right? And that's marketing. You and I were moaning about before we hit record on the Winning with Shopify podcast the other day with Apple. And Apple's all about like quality and temptations. The reality is, and I'm pretty sure this is the internal story since Steve Jobs died, they just want to release a new phone and 
laptop and everything every year to make you buy another one. And even when we jumped on this call just before we hit record, yeah. you were moaning about your computer yeah, slowing yeah. down. They've lost their way. I have nothing against the public story being good, but the public story has to match up. And at Apple right now, it's, it's creaking. In my opinion, it's the best of the worst. 10 years ago, I would not be saying that about Apple. 10 years ago, I'd be like, it is gorgeous. I'm obsessed with technology because of Apple. I mean, yeah. I don't feel that anymore. I know that feeling was like, oh my God, like I'm so proud of my Apple Mac. And I'm just like, oh, it works. Slightly bigger, slightly quicker, slightly better camera. Is it really worth $1,200 a year to get the best one? Absolutely not, in my opinion. Just going back to that story that people tell, sometimes Mm. I think people are scared to be like, that's not my real story. It doesn't need to be necessarily fake or true. It could be like a very exaggeration of something that's real. And most stories are that. They're just stretched out, but that's what marketing is. The public story, I normally tell both because it puts a smile on a client's face. (laughs) And I always say the public story is the word spec was the only thing we could find, which is true. We looked at loads of names and spec was like the only one that we could really use. We were looking at like incisive edge and stuff like this, which again, kind of fitted this kind of cutting edge, consultative, whatever. But none of them were available. None of the domains were available. There were like 15 companies in the UK already called incisive edge. It isn't going to work. There were like 45 in the US as well. It's just like, forget it. So we went with spec because it fits in the words like specialized and perspective. And the reality is we've not used a single one of those words and we've not ever even picked up on that in our branding. We might. Part of it is, you know, the best mechanic has the worst car because he's busy fixing other people's cars. There's an element of that. You know, we try and keep things smart on the front end. The reality is, and this will make you laugh, when I was about 22, 23, I bought a bus. It's a mini bus, but it has 17 seats. And I drove all over Europe, which is essentially the same, similar size like driving all over the US. And I used to go on road trips. And my friend Phil at the time, he had this joke that he was called Hatman and I was called Specs. The name Spec came from because I just started wearing glasses at the time. And he loved wearing hats. And a lot of our road <laughs> trips were to cold countries like Norway and stuff from London. So we're driving like, you know, a week or two solid, just traveling around. And there was this ongoing joke that Hatman and Specs were like this vigilante duo who were absolutely awful. It was like, imagine Batman turning up to yeah. save somebody's life. He ends up killing five people <laughs> instead of saving yeah, one. Yeah. We were that kind of vigilante duo. And it was this ongoing joke. I took my glasses off one afternoon and I was sitting there banging my head against this. Game. Just think of a name, Nick, like something yeah, yeah. that no one else has got. And I just looked at my glasses and specs or just yeah. spec because that works on the professional level. So again, a vigilante duo of me refusing to grow up in my sort of early to mid twenties ended up being my company name. And people were like, oh, I love the name, Nick. It's great. And then I'm like, do you want to hear the real story? Yeah. <laughs> Where it really came from. Yeah. Um, but it works. You know, we paid somebody to get a nice logo made and it all kind of fits together. But again, the secret story, I think is more funny than the public one goes back to naming things. It's so hard. When you start a business, it's always like, what should I name it? It's so tough. We started Voy Media, right? Voy is just go in Spanish because my background is Hispanic. So I was like, let me just do something that's different. Yeah, that's cool. Our slogan and our logo for Voy Media is let's go. It's a play on that go word. We were Voy Media for like, what, four years already. And we never use go in like any context until like our branding agency. Oh, that's perfect. Let's use that. I'm like, oh yeah. We want to have a proper brand behind it now. Yeah. We're going to sell the business soon and stuff. And somebody will say, why don't we come up with this like vigilante? And I, oh, done that. <laughs> I had a bit of a rant ages ago on somebody else's podcast about two years ago about naming agencies, certainly in the UK and it's yep. similar in the US. And I was going to say the word media is just so lazy. Go, we just chuck media on the end. I'm sure that's what you guys did. We like avoid media and then we use Voy as media is our part of what we do. So we have like our Voy accelerator where we like do acceleration. We have our incubator where we incubate brands. We have our Voy consulting. So Voy is like the brand and then everything else, the common word. 
there was a joke a while ago I was making with a friend about businesses in the UK, certainly agencies, yeah, yeah. to name themselves. They just go like, choose a random animal and then choose <laughs> a random color. Could be an object. So there's purple fork, green frog, orange frog. Those are three agencies in the UK, all completely independent, completely different. There's one called Red Snapper. Do you know what I mean? The list goes yeah. on. There's just loads and loads of these things. SaaS companies are like that too. MailChimp. Yeah, they are. Yeah, it's the same thing. Naming things, it's something that we, when we were programming, the hardest thing, like, what are we going to name this variable that's going to be used in the code that everybody can read and it makes sense and it's also not used somewhere else? Running back to the long <laughs> tangent we ended up on. <laughs> yeah, so Parker's... Caroline, who founded Just Us Parker, very much still involved in the business. And she basically messaged me one night and was like, I need some help. She'd been a little bit unwell, which wasn't public knowledge. We, you know, we've spoken about it a bit now. And then she got pregnant at the same time. And she at first was like, I can do this. This is fine. And the end result was, I don't need to do this. And so actually she said, well, look, do you want to come in as a CEO? It's very much run by Caroline and myself now. You probably heard me introducing the podcast the other day. Yep. You know, she's baby and both doing really well, which I always feel the need to say because everyone thinks childbirth's a dream and it is my wife-to-be is a doctor and, and I know full well it is not. It's an incredibly scary time. But I said, if you came in, what would you do? And I was like, I'd rebrand it. So we're still going to be called Just Ask Parker, but you know, refresh the brand, sort the website out because it's quite confusing, prove the offering, bring in my team from London. So my team here at Spec will come in and start offering some premium tasks. And the way it essentially works is you sign up, you get some credits and you can spend those credits on tasks. Similar price to using something like um, Fiverr or People mm. Per Hour, Upwork, oh, or whatever. Nice. Okay. But the difference is it's all based on templates that we have created. All the templates and everything else and all the work being done, it doesn't take us long, hence why we don't charge very much for it. But it's the same kind of model. It's just you do it through one big channel. You've got customer support to talk to if something goes wrong. Whereas... On Fiverr, you commit to paying the person even if you don't like the deliverable. Yeah. Whereas with us, you can have a conversation and talk about it. And part of the revamp we're coming up with is going to include a few things that Parker customers have told me, which Caroline was aware of, but I've now come in going, right, I'm going to change that. So my team in London and some of the guys we've got in New York as well, they're going to be doing kind of consultative calls either every month or every quarter. And that's all due to be released Early October is the current day. It will probably get pushed back a bit further. It's one of those things, the more you start pulling layers off the onion, the more mm -hmm. layers you realize there are further down. So see how we go on it. But certainly the plan is to revamp the tasks. The podcast as well is going really, really well. And Caroline mm -hmm. is doing a great job of running it. And some months she was getting like tens of thousands of people listening to a single episode. She was about to have a baby, very, very tired. And we were still discussing my involvement. And once I got involved, then go over the podcast and we've revamped it a bit. We've got a new intro. We've been changing the way we do it. Hence why you've been on it recently. So it's been interesting. I've always dreamt of coming into a business and sort of turning it around. I've never really done it because I know coming into any business, anyone coming into any company will find it a mess on day one. It's just the nature of companies. They're like really, really loving but dysfunctional families. There'll be so many political problems and technical problems and even a couple of days ago, I got a note saying, so such a tool's broken. And I'm like, what the heck is that? I've never heard of it. And Caroline's on maternity leave. So I'm like messaging everybody in the team. Does anyone know what this is? Oh yeah, we use that for this. I know what you use it for, but what is it? Is it a WordPress site? Is it a random tool we bought from somewhere else? Is it a white labeled thing? And eventually someone was like, oh, I think so-and-so knows. And I'm like, who's that? And eventually yeah, found yeah. the problem. I get things like that almost every day when I first started. Whereas... Now it's all kind of settled down. My team are quite involved in managing a lot of the bits and pieces for me. And we're looking to employ a few new people in Parker once we do this relaunch and get a few more clients on board. It has revenue. We've got people using it. We've got 
some phenomenal training resources. Caroline's been doing loads of coaching over the years, which we've popped that on hold for now. But we do have a team of people ready to do that as soon as we do turn it back on. But it's, again, my involvement's almost looking at like a new business that's already got some traction. Or as somebody described managing a football team in the UK, or soccer as you guys call it, it's a bit like trying to repair an aircraft that's already flying. This is what I live for, you know, these kind of challenges. And it's the sort of thing, success or failure, it's the kind of thing I'd probably write a book on in the future when I'm working part-time and I'm semi-retired, passing on the knowledge to other people. All very exciting so far. The podcast has been amazing. We're just about to start an SEO series on it. And we've also got a big sponsorship campaign that's already been agreed and paid for, which is happening later this year. And I can't say anything about it until episode (laughs) one, but super exciting. And I've got some amazing guests as part of that to interview as well. And very exciting. And it's certainly running a podcast is new to me. So on day one, I was like, Flip, I need some guests. Like, and <laughs> yeah. I just went on the Just Ask Parker inbox and we had about 500 people, I think similar to how you found us, just emailing in going, I'd love to be on it. And I'm like, okay, fine, you sound good. Being great and the content being warmly received and certainly the feedback and reviews we're getting on all the different podcast platforms has been amazing. So and that's one of those very rare kind of shoot a bullet for the first time out of a gun and you hit the bullseye is how it's felt with it. We've got plans to grow it, you know, try and integrate the podcast a bit more into what the business does as opposed to... At the moment, it's just kind of there as a free resource on iTunes. It's a rare opportunity to come in and really take something over and you know revamp it. Just because you're saying, Caroline, the content on your website, you just have so much great stuff. You have all the courses, you have the paid program, you have the podcast. There's just so much there. It's good and bad, but you just have a lot of the foundation there. Your training is like extensive. We still get emails from people saying, I'm on day 21 of the 30 days with 30 emails in 30 days course yeah. or something. The emails have stopped. Text message to Caroline going, what the hell is this? And Caroline's like, oh, this thing, I never actually finished it. It should say that on the first episode. This is not finished yet. And it's free. Are they really complaining about something that's free? It just does show you everybody's got value in anything. There is no such thing as free. Even if you listen to what you think is a free podcast, if it's an hour a week, that's an hour a week of your time you're investing. And as everybody says, we've all only got 24 hours a day. We all have the same, if you imagine like a currency, we all have the same 24 tokens to spend. As somebody else said, maybe it's more like four tokens an hour, 15 minutes, spending those tokens is your time. So if you invest four of those a week into a single podcast, or you listen to three or four podcasts, you are investing time into it. Mm -hmm. And so then you do feel a sense of ownership to it. And I think it's, as you know, as well, from running this podcast, it's important to make sure people feel that sense of ownership. And also like they've got a voice. Otherwise, nobody wants to be lectured to, which is but I hate the education system in yeah. you know, this Western world. It is so broken. Nobody wants to be lectured to, but people do want to learn and do want to be educated. I think people want to learn. When I was in school, I like hated learning because I was like, this is not what I want to learn. And it was just kind of like, go on and just explore myself and just have the resources there that will teach me the stuff I want. We've had a massive fiasco with our exam results in the UK this year because they basically used what they've called an algorithm. Google basically piped up this algorithm is not an algorithm. Whatever you've used, it's more like a spreadsheet. Yeah, the kind of output has been pretty rubbish. But then equally, if I had been at school this year, going back kind of 15, 16 years or something, I would have got like A stars for everything. Because in year 10, we did these like practice exams and I got A's and A stars for everything. And then when I reached final year of this school and then you go to college and then off to university afterwards and college is about two years and university is generally three sometimes five if you do a master's and stuff and I was gonna hit this point and the next phase was then to like you know go into the actual exams and I completely flunked them like I scraped into music college you have to be good at an instrument not getting grades and I got in with like one by one extra grade and had to have a meeting with them to talk about it and 
I just completely gave up. Like specifically gave up. I was like, I'm not interested in education. I don't need to know any of this science stuff. I don't need to know how plants work. Or if I do, I could maybe learn it in an hour or two, just the basics of you need light, water, and a bit of food from the soil, and then the plant grows. That's all I needed to know the way I was seeing it. And at the same time, I was just looking at my uncle and a few other people going, I want to run a business. Let me go and run a business. Could have started when I was 14. What a waste of time this has been. Why don't we have a business lesson where we get some business owners in to come and tell us what's going on? No, we can't do that. And back then, YouTube didn't exist. We just about had the internet, but I remember finding resources online on like how to make money online and stuff and was starting to get interested in it all. The reality was it was all so early days. Just getting a job at an agency for two years was all I needed. And I was off. I feel like the education system fails a lot of kids and doesn't prepare them for actual sort of later life. People don't know about finances, how to buy a house, how to save, how to invest. This is life. Why is there no like life classes besides like stuff that like, yeah, everything else is kind of important, like history, but is it really important? I want to learn what I, how can I survive right now? There's so many of these like boot camps to like learn an actual skill. I mean, it's good for the private. I don't know how it works in the US, but we have kind of private and public schools. We all pay tax. The tax covers the cost of the schools for the kids. And then we have private where you might pay 40 or 50,000 pounds a year or 40, 50,000 dollars a year to go to private school and stuff. It definitely works in the sense that like the exam results are higher. Grades they get are higher and the people coming out of it have a very clear idea of what they want to do next. And still there's no class or classes Mm -hmm. that are like, this is insurance. And bringing it right the way back to marketing. So I know you guys talk a lot about marketing and it's my skill. A lot of our clients we're constantly talking to about keywords on SEO. What are the questions that people are asking to find your business? And then how do we design areas of the site to facilitate that? So one we've been doing this week is call them estate agents or real estate agents, people that are buying and selling or renting out houses for people. And we realize like nobody goes on there and searches residential sales as a keyword, but that's what they call it. Mm -hmm. Or they call it property search. So people don't call it residential sales, they call it estate agents or real estate agents. That's the keyword. So we're like, first of all, call yourselves that because that's People will relate more to that. Therefore, you'd be on number one for Google for the thing that has all the traffic. And then the second thing is people don't go on Google and search, I'm looking for property search. They don't do that. They go on Google and say, houses for sale, flats to rent. So we're now trying to restructure that. And then they don't just write that. They write houses for sale in uh, Weybridge, which is a town near me. Go on Google and type in houses for sale in Weybridge. But even if they're a seller, they'll still search that because they want to see what the houses are worth and stuff before they then dig in And if they land on somebody's website, like one of our clients, and they say, oh, this is a nice website. These guys clearly know how to sell houses. Same sort of price to our house. Well, let's phone them. And therein lies your user journey. Even those guys using kind of educational content to then say like, first time buyers, how do I buy a house? What is stamp duty? How do you value a house? The result of valuing a house is most of the houses on this street sell for this much money. Therefore, yours will probably be about the same. Or you've got one extra bedroom, so it'll be that plus a bit. First-time buyers don't know that. The company that educates them is the company they're probably going to go to being, these guys are going to hold my hand through the whole sales process. Just look at all their buying guides, area guides, school guides, etc. Like This is the company for us. What you're saying is right. Like There's all this common stuff that you need nowadays for just running a business or just life. It's not available to anybody. Why don't they make it free or... I guess my last question, and we've been talking for a while now. How are you guys thinking about, I guess when you came on board, upgrading customers, there are probably some purchase plans they have. Like, are you guys making them pay more, spend more? Is that something you guys want to think about with your current sort of growth strategies of the business? Very short story. Last summer, the business was doing all right. We lost a few clients. We gained mm-hmm. a few clients. I was really tired. I hadn't looked after myself properly in the first half of the year. So I reached like June, July time and I was feeling really, really down. Just knew of loads of stuff. So much I was having to do every day. I didn't really know what to do first and had no motivation for any of it. 
do I still want to work in this industry? You know, the kind of, we were saying the other day, weren't we? It's the annual question that everybody asks in every job ever. The conclusion is always yes. But just asking the question takes me on a bit of a journey. Part of this journey was then like, I'm going to upskill myself. I'm going to find out from other business owners what the best possible ways of running an agency are and stuff. And one of the stats that I read, and it made me passionately angry in a good way, was I read this stat that 80% of any business's growth, any business, so like, it doesn't matter if you're in service-based, e-commerce, just do projects for the government, any single business, around 80% of your potential growth is in your existing customers and clients. And I got so angry. I'd spent nearly 10 years of my life trying to sell, market, do events, find the next client. What the hell have I been doing my whole life? (laughs) I mean, it wouldn't have happened at school, obviously. Not everybody's going to wake up one day and be a business owner or an entrepreneur. I wish someone had told me that when I was younger, because I wouldn't have wasted so much time. My first job when I was 13, I was doing a paper round at 5am every day. If you want to weather your children and prepare them for the working life, get them an all year round, seven days a week paper round on a small old like 50 year old bicycle. That is what you want to do. Because I learned so much. 5am every day, I didn't have lions. If I didn't go to bed on time, I felt tired. I knew what working was. My parents didn't have much money, didn't have much money. That was a good way of conditioning myself. Bring back to that stat. So 80% of your growth is in your current client base. And I read that last summer. And I read it in loads of different books, loads of different places. So it was pretty well confirmed that every agency owner was telling me that. I asked my advisor, I spoke to other agency owners that had, you know, 100, 200 staff. Is this true? And also, do you have any other advice? It's absolutely true. So then we had a problem, which is exactly the question you just asked. The problem was we were selling SEO services for like £1,000 or £1,500 a month. And then PPC, classic percentage of your budget, and you're spending £5,000 a month. So we'll charge you maybe 500 or 750 a month. 10, 15%. The problem with that is if they don't increase their budget, they never grow for us. Mm-hmm. And SEO, how do you have that conversation to go, oh yeah, that 1,500 pounds a month contract is now 2,000. It's now two and a half thousand. We worked out a few methods of how to grow our client base. One of them was to just start charging more upfront. Another one, which was a much deeper thing that we did probably from sort of like last summer until about December which actually lined us up really nicely for lockdown and the whole pandemic because we've continued to grow through it. And I don't think we would have done it if we didn't do this. Was actually looking at our service offering and saying, right, SEO kind of involves everything in your business. And to do PPC properly, you should also be looking at not everything, but nearly everything. So to have a good conversion rate from PPC, you need to look at your landing pages, your offering as a business, your delivery terms and conditions, uh, your customer feedback, what kind of loyalty programs, all of that's going to feed into getting a conversion rate from PPC. And then if all your customers buy from you twice, or all your clients stay for a year instead of six months, you've now got twice as much PPC budget to play with for the same returns, you've got loads of scope to grow it. With all of that intact, we were then like, well, why are we just offering this kind of SEO? We'll do this for a month and this for a month. So we revamped the way our services work. And we have this template of how we used to do stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's, we use that as a framework to then say to clients, here's how we normally work. And yeah. here's how we're going to work for you. And we never use that template anymore for the client. But we always put it in front of them and say, that's how we used to work and a bit more of the traditional agency model. But now the consultative model is going to look more like this. Which then means we make deals with clients and we say, right, every six months... We'll sit down and do a quick review. If we've increased your traffic and most importantly, your revenue, your leads, et cetera, if we've increased them by another 10%, our fee is going to go up by another 10%. 
And our fee is a tiny, tiny little margin of what your actual output is for SEO. With PPC as well, we just sell to clients in the way that we should have done all along, which is we're going to charge you a percentage of budget and every three months we'll review what you're spending and keep increasing our fee, but the percentage of the budget will get lower and lower and lower. You're only going to sign off increasing it if we can prove that it's working. So sometimes it's not every three or six months. Sometimes it takes a year to get that first increase. But you see how now we've built more of a model of saying, well, our fee is going to continue to go up. Or we agree a bonus with a client and say, right, you're currently getting this much revenue from SEO. So once we've doubled the amount of traffic and revenue that you're supposed to be getting, our fee goes from two grand a month to three and a half grand a month. Now, doing that, we can A, charge more upfront because we've got a proper target, which now means the client can invest in that. And actually, from a pricing point of view, the client isn't focused on we're going to charge you two and a half or two grand a month. The client's focused on, well, if they can prove themselves, then they can have three and a half grand. And it puts us in a premium position. We toyed with the idea of just offering it for free, but then found we need, we need the client to be invested in this thing. And if they're not paying us, they won't be invested. So we've turned down projects where people have sort of said, do the SEO for free. And if you can get us to this position or get us as much revenue, we'll give you 50 grand. I just know it's going to cause problems because they're not invested in it. So they're wanting to wash their hands of it. So although that target sounds nice and we'd get paid more, it's technically impossible. And what happens if we fall a pound short? If we get £49,999, not 50000 what happens? That's the way we kind of tried to model our services to grow. And that also then went on to me and the team all upskilling ourselves in how we communicate with clients, how we structure the contract. It's a partnership. We're your preferred partner. We're going to build a relationship. We actually really, really started doing that. I had a client phone me recently. And again, I won't say too much. It's quite confidential. But there was a bit of a falling out within the business. And they'd all contacted me separately to say how they all felt. And I was a bit like, I'm the supplier here. Why are you all calling me? It's like, this is a good thing that I'm being told. It's a bad thing. It's a problem. And I was then like, I can't phone up the marketing director and say, all your staff are having a massive argument. So I had to think of a way to manage it. So I said, please go and talk to so-and-so. And then if so-and-so knows, A, they can deal with it. And then I can deal with it with them because you're not the only one who's having an issue. Couldn't say that on the phone to each one. But <laughs> again, the whole thing got resolved. And that's like, well, that's a client for five years now, isn't it? The fact, they're having those conversations with us. And we have that open relationship where A, they feel safe to talk to me about stuff. It's me they want to talk to rather yeah. than their boss. What do your other clients do? Like, have you got any advice on how to deal with this? It's a bit like, this is so out of scope. But also, how exciting that's one way we've learned to increase the value of clients. And that specific client, I've had two emails since that, that sort of scenario. I wouldn't call it an issue because it's quite normal. But since that scenario has come up, I've had two emails from them basically saying like, we want to increase the fee here or do we've just acquired this. Can you guys help with this? And I said, yeah, yeah fine. It'll need to be an extra cost because it's an extra piece of work. And they were like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Is it just going to increase our monthly fee? So the monthly fee's just gone up 30% for these extra projects. But it's partly because some of those extra projects came up in conversation while dealing with this other thing because we have a good relationship with them. Again, for me, it's really, really important to have that relationship. The downside is you can't write on a case study, a quote from a client. We've actually had five clients in the last two or three months have issues like that they've brought to us. It's not been an isolated case. Nothing to do with us. It's just always internally, it's everyone's growing and there's teething problems and no one was ready for the teething problems. So it's good problems to have, but horrible for the people involved in them. But try to scale up our clients client needs to be also aligned with your pricing, your model and sort of how you make money. Because if, if they know that you want to make more money, then they know that you're probably going to put in more work for their account. 
weird thing that sometimes people are like, this person's charging me less. I'm like, okay, they can charge you less. That probably means they're not going to be doing a great job as someone that's just going to charge you more and really wants to be aligned with making you money. But a lot of times you also get those clients, hey, you get a percentage of revenue that you bring for me, but I don't want to pay anything. It's like a red flag. Here's our basic fee. And if we hit that target, you pay us a bonus. For you guys as well, like same as us, paid media. It's like, so you're willing to pay Google or Facebook this much. You're not willing to give us a small cut so you actually make some money from it. The reason they're coming to us is because they're not making money. And I also call clients bluffs sometimes. And someone's offered us an SEO audit for $80 and you're charging us $3,000. Go for the $80 one. You've got nothing to lose. And then send me a copy of it and I'll go through our scope and I'll tick anything they've covered and reduce the price. Generally, they won't reduce the price of anything. And sometimes it's like, have you actioned this point here? Oh, yeah, of course we did. Right, well, our price has just gone up to fix that because they've just done some really bad directory link building, which is an absolute crisis for SEOs. We've now got a fixing job on our hands. I didn't say go for it because I thought it would be safe. I said go for it because you clearly are toying between $3,000 and eighty. Yeah. If you've been silly enough to action that stuff, it's kind of saying to me that what problems are you going to have with £3,000 a month on the table rather than $80 as a one-off? You have to get to a point to understand that no client is a bad client. Because a year ago, I would have taken any client because I was in that place, which is a bit more revenue that would solve one of my issues right now. You know, like we're not short on cash, but we're not making a huge profit. And that keeps me awake at night. It's like if we lose one client, wrong client, we're in a mess. Whereas now we're in such a strong position right now. You know, we've hired a couple of people since lockdown started. We're doing something right. I would always add a disclaimer to that. Depends where you're at as a business. Because actually yep. something like Just Ask Parker, there's no such thing as a bad client because you can just kind of turn it on, turn it off whenever you want. Everything's process driven. It's done through systems. Mm -hmm. There is no bad personal relationship. If people don't like it, they just cancel it. It's not right for them. The reality is most people stay for 6, 12, 18 months. And I'd rather just wait out for one of them than not. But see, I wouldn't say that every single scenario means no client is better than a bad client. I think there are things you can do to protect your risk from a bad client and still do a yeah. very good job for them. We've definitely had clients over the years where someone said, can't believe you're working with so-and-so. They're an absolute nightmare. And we're like, oh, we quite like them. They pay us good money. We're having a great time with them. We have some clients too, like, all right, they're not bad. It's like not ideal. They're not too the worst. Someone will reach out to you maybe a year ago and then you'll tell them the price our price back then was like, what, 2000 to work with us. And then they'll come back yeah, like yeah. this year. And they're like, hey, Kevin, now I'm ready to work with you. Great. Just so you know, our new price is 5K minimum. I talked to you six months ago and your price wasn't this. Like I want the old price. And then they get so upset. I've got proof that we'll do a better job than we would have then because we've got more staff. They don't like hearing no from people like us, like agencies or companies. It's like, hey, I have money to give you. Like, why don't you want to take it? We only want to work with companies that we think we can truly help. And also with founders are actually sane. Ever another agency say to us the phrase like, just take the cash and crack on with it. That for me is almost like ruled out taking the cash. I'm not in that kind of business. We are working with an agency a while ago. They're a design agency that gave us some SEO work. And they basically kind of came to me and said, like, oh, these guys got massive budgets. We're doing this, this. And I looked at pitched way out of your depth. You don't have the team to support this project. You're not bringing anyone else in. And then when I looked them up, I realized they'd been six people for like 15 years now, which is surely a warning flag. Businesses don't <laughs> sit still. They grow, they shrink. So it's yeah. like, why have you not grown or shrunk that it's not the be and end all. Like if somebody just wants a happy life and tickle, fine. But they're talking a really big game. They sign a client, work full time for that client really, really hard for ages. When they lose it, they basically just make a load of people redundant, hit the panic button, and then hire some more people when they get the next project oh, wow. in. What a horrible way to live. Every yeah. night you're there going, we've only got six months left on this one contract and they might quit early. And oh my gosh, there's a pandemic. What are we going to do next?
or just stop being what you are. You're a good designer trying to run a design agency. Go and be a good designer somewhere. You clearly don't have the agency, the agency model in you. You don't know how to sell, how to build process. You don't delegate anything. Just a pride project for you and a cash grab. But you're constantly yeah. looking for the next bit of cash to grab, which I absolutely hate. Kind of sometimes when we work with clients too, and we're scaling them, we've been working with them for like a year or two, and I'm looking at their team, and I'm, your team hasn't grown since we've worked with you, and we've doubled or tripled your business. And then that's when we start seeing like cracks in them working with us, because then they're like, I need more help from you guys. You guys need to hire internally, not like us bringing in more people to help you. Where it goes with consulting, you need to bring on people to help you guys. Like, and it's not the agencies to come in and like tell you what to do now. Tell our listeners where they can find out more about you, your company, where they can reach out to you. I'm CEO at Just Ask Parker, which is justaskparker.com. And we've got the podcast, which is Winning with Shopify. It's part of the uh, Parker business. So go and check that out. Obviously, the podcast is free. And if you guys need any consultancy, we're similar level to the guys at Void Media in terms of cost and stuff. We're London-based. We work across the world as well. SEO, PPC analytics, all that sort of stuff. We are at spec.digital is our website. Come and check us out. But thank you so much for having me. It's been great to chat again, Kevin. Thank you, Nick. Really appreciate your time. This week's episode of Digital Marketing Fastlane was brought to you by the performance marketing experts at Voy Media. Join us again next time as we'll be bringing you more tips, techniques, and know-how to make your online business the very best that it can be. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, we'd love to hear them on Twitter at Voy Media. Thank you.